Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Hello there, friend. Uh, Vish Khanna talking to you right off the top of the show. A bit unusual. Uh, I have an announcement. Like many of my colleagues who are living in Ontario, Canada, under Doug Ford's provincial government, my day job at a campus and community radio station may not exist for much longer. For a sampling of what I'm talking about, please go to your favorite campus and community radio station's website. I'm sure there'll be a little announcement and maybe even uh, a way that you can help them financially or otherwise in in our in this current state of affairs. But because you're listening to this podcast, I wanted to tell you something. I would like nothing more than to keep making episodes of Creative Control every week, but that requires a significant bump in the revenue that this show generates so that I can feed my family and also house them too. I I have decided that both food and shelter are important for my family. Call me old-fashioned, this is just how I feel. So I'm looking into subsidies and grants. I'm not having much luck, but I'm looking into those. If you or someone you know wants to help uh, keep the show going, please consider making a monthly flexible donation to my Patreon page, patreon.com slash creative control. If you go there, you'll see our current levels do not sustain a guy trying to provide for his wife and his two kids uh, and make a, a podcast. So maybe a stable day job beckons, but if a stable day job beckons, can I keep doing the show? I don't know. I have no idea. I, I hope that we can just boost our Patreon pledges and maybe get it to a point where it's sustainable. So thanks if you already donate to the show. If you don't, and you can't, that's fine too, but please spread the word as Creative Control's future depends on increased financial support. Again, patreon.com slash creative control. Thank you. Sean Ono Lennon is a musician, songwriter, and producer based in New York City. The only child of Yoko Ono and the late John Lennon, Sean has been prolific over his own musical trajectory, making solo albums and collaborating with others. In 2019, he's celebrating ATO Records' release of South of Reality, the second album he's made with Les Claypool of Primus, under the name The Claypool Lennon Delirium. The record has earned rave reviews and has prompted the band to tour extensively. And Sean and I had a chance to talk recently for both an Exclaim magazine assignment that I was tasked with completing and also for this show. And so we touched upon some personality questions, his relationship with his parents and how they inspired his interest in visual art, why he'd like to work with Bob Dylan, the Toronto show I saw him play with Chibo Matto 
as the band opened for Beck on the Odelay tour. His fond memories of hanging out with Michael Jackson at Neverland Ranch, and much more. With the support of listeners like you who subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly pledges at patreon.com slash creativecontrol, plus in-kind support from CFRU 93.3 FM, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, this is the 468th episode of Creative Control, featuring the gifted and talented Sean Ono-Lennon, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi Sean, how's it going? Hey, how you doing? It's uh, it's nice to speak with you again. You and I spoke many years ago, as I recall. I'm glad you recall that because uh, it was a blur. It was a blur for me. <laughs> it was a blurry conversation, as I recall. Uh, where in the world are you today? I'm uh, in upstate New York, surrounded by snow. I'm at my studio. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, we've got. Uh, it's just like a blizzard here. I'm calling you from Guelph, Ontario. Yeah, you probably have it pretty bad. I it, it, we had about. Three days of snow up here. Oh, but nice. it wasn't too bad. Nice. Well, it's winter. I'm not. I'm not complaining. I. This is what it's. I prefer that it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. You know what I mean? Yes, obviously I do. But it's 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 a little scary. I've heard that there was the worst winter ever in uh, Iran and Germany or something, which is odd. Or Switzerland, oh. or I guess where Germany and Switzerland meet. Oh. And so I think it is extreme weather. It's just not necessarily always in the warming direction yes yes it exactly can go either way yes it's it, weather it, extreme extremes yeah no i i hear you well i appreciate the time again we're going to do the exclaim magazine questionnaire and then after that we can talk about uh the claypool uh lennon delirium uh, i've been enjoying the new record quite a bit and uh and i want to ask you some questions about it but are you ready to answer the exclaim questionnaire I think I am. What is it? A rating system, like one out of five, or are we doing a yes or no? No, no. It's a, actually. I'm going to ask you questions, and you have to answer them. Uh, elaborate as much as you can. There's no yes or well, maybe there's a yes or no. No, there isn't. No, 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 no. So it's a kind of union. It's like a union thing. Yeah, it's like a. Here's a question: Why or what? And and then you have to. And then I say, and and you know, can you expand upon it? That kind of thing. Oh my gosh, but I don't want to reveal the depths of my subconscious <laughs> to the world. Well, you shouldn't have answered that. the shouldn't have answered the phone, my friend. I think uh All right, I'm ready. I'm that ready. Was your I'm first ready on my couch. Okay, this is the preamble to the questionnaire. Before we begin, please state your name, your hometown, your current headquarters, and any of your upcoming activities, especially Canadian tour dates and new releases. Okay. Um my name is Sean Tarua Ono Lennon. Taro is my Japanese name. Ono is my mother's maiden name. I'm stationed in New York City for the most part, Manhattan. And uh, that is my hometown. And I'm a musician and songwriter. Been producing also, but I guess that goes under the umbrella of a musician. Yeah. And um, I do have some dates in Canada, but I don't know the exact dates right now. But I know that we're heading across the border and it's coming up this oh. year. I just don't know the actual date. Like if I had, if I wasn't using my phone for this interview, I might, <laughs> I might 
do a little Google search in, but I don't know exactly. I'm not good at remembering tour dates. Do you I have just a get on the bus and I get on the bus and it's a blank after that. Do you want to send people to a website right now where they could learn the dates? Sure. My record company website always has all the tour dates that I am involved in. It's kamiramusic.com. C H I M E R A music.com. You can get all my tour dates and delirium tour dates and everything that I'm a part of. Okay. All right. There you go. And and uh, new releases is uh, I mean we I mentioned the You can probably get that also sorry on the ATO record label website, but I don't know the Address offhand. I'm sure it has to do with ATO Records, okay, or something like that. All right, that's good. All right, let's move on to the very first question of the Exclaim Questionnaire. Number one. Oh, so that was that didn't count. It's kind of a preamble, like I said. It's like an introduction. It's like if I want to let you cross in cross over the border, you have to answer all those questions. Name, I see. hometown, current HQ. I've definitely answered questions going across the the border. Into Canada, let me tell you. Yeah, well, uh, I've answered them going across to America, too. And it's there not... ain't nothing you can throw at me that they ain't thrown at me over. <laughs> All right, let's see. I accept your challenge, and <laughs> I'm going to go forth here. Number one, what are you up to current projects? Actually, I just finished yesterday working on some music with Borns. This guy, Garrett Borns, is a musician who I like a lot. Um, we did about two weeks of of a session at my studio in upstate New York with his friend Tommy English, who's a producer, songwriter guy who he works with, and it was really fun. Okay. So I was working on that. And then before that, I was working on a solo project, but I kind of put that down for a little while, but I'm picking it up again, hopefully. Okay, cool. Appreciate that answer. Question number two. What are your current fixations in the realms of music, films, books, art, TV, food, lifestyle, trends? What are your current fixations, Sean? Oh, boy. Well, I've got so many interests regarding film and music and art and stuff. It depends on how deep we want to go. But, I mean, just superficially, what I've been watching is the Mike Judge series on the tour bus. Oh, the, man. That is so, tour bus story. That's so good. It's probably the greatest of TV I've ever seen. I just love it. But um, that's not, a, I mean, in terms of what I like that I'm obsessed with, I mean, you know, I like great filmmakers like Fellini and Bergman and Kubrick and stuff. I mean, that's probably the film that I'm obsessed with, like Hodorowski and stuff from the 60s and 70s. I don't. I don't mean to highlight this, but the question was current fixation. So you could say. Oh, I thought you said, but I thought you meant what are my fixations right now. But you didn't say current. Uh, That's art, true. You, the art uh, artist. Well, well, you, you said what are my fixations right now? So generally, I'm tend. I tend to be obsessed with Fellini and Nino Rota. Let's say Nino Rota, like Italian film scores, I'm quite obsessed with. But I mean, if you mean in a in a kind of uh, fleeting way, like what is my yeah what what is my current trend? I've been watching the Mike Judge shows for sure. That's the funniest thing I've ever seen. And uh, you know what else? This is kind of lowbrow. I've been watching this show called Norseman. It's like this Viking comedy show from Norway. It's hilarious. That's one of the funniest things. I guess I've been watching a bit of comedy because the world is so, so scary when you read the news every day that you just want to go home and watch something that makes you laugh. Yeah. Those two things. Those are those are the two shows that I watch. 
And in terms of music, well, let's see. In terms of contemporary bands, are you thinking? I really like, you know, uh, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Uh -huh. I really like those boys. Let's see. What else do I like? That's new. There's this band called Drug Dealer that I like. Oh, I, I, I don't know them. Yeah. Uh, let me see. What do I listen? I mean, you know, the funny thing is I mainly listen to older music. I've been really listening a lot to Milton Nascimento, this Brazilian artist from the 70s. I, I, I was looking through my dad's record collection. I found a bunch of old Brazilian records, so I got really into Milton Nascimento last year. I've been listening to that a lot. Oh, okay. Let but me think. That, that, that's good. That's enough. You don't have to. Okay. Uh, it was an either or. It was an or. It could have been any of those. I, I feel okay. badly that I phrased the question so poorly that you feel pressure to go through every single thing. But that that was good. That's a lot. Well, I was of... just scratching the surface. My... No, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, was, I, I didn't know when you said can, currently if you meant current artists or what I'm currently into because that could be. Yeah, you know Russ no. Myers for all you know. I've been doing this questionnaire and, and and asking this questionnaire for years, and this has never caused that much confusion. And I, but I appreciate exactly what you're saying. It is a bit of a confusing question, but I do think I'm easily confused. No, I don't think that's true, but I do think we should move on. Are you okay to move on? I'm ready. Okay, number three. Can you hear me? Okay. <laughs> number three. Why do you live where you do? Well. You know, I was born and raised in New York, so I'm a New Yorker more than anything else, uh, even though my parents, you know, immigrate were immigrants. Um, but uh, I think the main reason is because my mom lives here and and uh, she likes New York. And I don't think I don't think it, I wouldn't feel right if I left the city that she lived in because, you know, she doesn't have a lot of family hmm. to take care of her. So. I sort of stick around mainly for that reason. And also my girlfriend likes New York. We always talk about if we could live any, anywhere else. And I think I'm more open to the idea than she is. So I see. Okay. The women in my life are keeping me here. That's that's a good answer. How is your mom doing these days? She's good. I mean, you know, she's 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 85, so she's doing great um, considering her age. And she's always had a lot of energy and and she's always busier than I am, you know. Just even the last uh, time I went to see her, she was planning another art project with somebody, and she's incredibly uh, prolific. She just is always doing something. So I'm, I feel very blessed to have a such an active mom at her age. Yeah, no, that's it is amazing. All right. Well, speaking of art, question four: Name something you consider a mind-altering work of art, and this can be in any media, but not your own. I love that you use the plural of media properly. Um, it's very Canadian. Yeah. I'm Canadian. I know how to talk. Uh, yeah, I talk good, <laughs> too. Uh, I don't know. What, I don't even know what I what what I just said. I don't know what that means, actually. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, well, I guess the, the most mind-altering movie for me would probably be Holy Mountain by Hodorowski or Jodorowsky. Yeah. It's a film that my dad produced with Alan Klein, who was the Stones and later the John Lennon manager or a part of the Beatles manager, I guess you'd say. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the trippiest movies ever. If you watch that, it's hard to watch it all the way through. It's so aggressively surreal. It's really interesting. Apparently, George Harrison was, was up for the lead role of the kind of I guess Jesus character, but ultimately that didn't work out for 
some reasons. But um, yeah, it's a very visual film, and it's uh, in fact I don't think there's any dialogue in it. It's mm. very interesting, and uh, I recommend it. It's beautiful, but also terrifying. All right, I appreciate that answer. And and uh, all right, we move on. Number five. What has been your most memorable or inspirational gig, either one you played or attended, and why? Man, this is going to be hard. Let me think. The most memorable one. The most memorable one I may have been a part of or not. It's hard to say because I've been to a, a bunch of gigs that I really loved. You know... I got to see like this I got to see the second run I think it was of the Pink Floyd the Wall tour. Oh yeah. When I was young. And uh I think that was my favorite show of all time. No, but uh, the other show that I saw that blew my mind as well was Prince though. Oh. On the on Purple Rain on that tour. And that might have been I don't know, it's hard to say which one it was, but I you know, I think honestly I I liked the Wall better. Um, I'm more of a Pink Floyd fan. That was probably the greatest show I've ever seen because they did the Frankenstein in the bed and the floating pig. And I mean, it was just so mind blowing. And uh, at the time, I didn't know. I didn't know much about Pink Floyd, but I, you know, I mean, I didn't know that that it was a it was the second time they'd done the tour or something or Mm -hmm. that it was the revival. But to me, it just seemed like the greatest show on earth. I remember all the lasers and the lights and the music, and I think that impacted me the most, probably. I think it was at Giant Stadium, but it's hard to remember because I was so young. Right. But that show really kind of stuck with me. It was the, I mean, the production on that tour was just so over the top. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it since then. No, it revolutionized concert performances didn't it like that tour just changed everything everyone had to go big after that yeah i mean i i it's hard for me to view it in context again because i was so long but i mean as far as i understand it it wasn't just the wall of pink floyd that revolutionized you know concert going and technology it was it was their whole careers like when you know when they did uh you know live at pompeii that was raising the bar too i don't think i mean i don't think there's anything that was that well recorded in a field recording that was also a film i mean that was sort of raising the bar in terms of technically just the setup is incredible the 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 pa and the speakers and the recording and that it's live and it's being filmed and there's like aerial shots it's pretty mind-blowing um and then i think they also innovated a lot of sound uh sound technology live sound technology before the wall even so i think people were kind of chasing them for a long time yeah i know that dead i know that dead were always kind of having a lot of cutting edge technology too but they're i think pink floyd was probably i don't know they were pioneers in a lot of uh a lot of live like surround sound stuff that's what i've heard even before the wall for sure and obviously they started as a light show accompaniment right i mean yeah 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 early days before they had vocals and stuff when they were with sid so i think their shows were always a a spectacle at least well that's amazing you got to see that that's that's really that was probably the most amazing show i've ever seen if i can really think about it and there was another show sorry i know i'm supposed to answer (laughs) one time i got to see levon helms at the live at the midnight ramble to charlotte and i went 
uh, in upstate New York. Oh, wow. And, uh, I didn't realize how magical it was, but he had, he basically passed away, I think a year and a half or two after that. And, um, looking back, that was one of the most magical moments too. Cause we were sitting right, we were standing right behind his drum set. It's a very small place, that studio. And I guess that would be the other one that really stuck with me. We were all in tears. It was so beautiful. The music and everything. I got to see Levon Helm play two or three times, and uh, uh, Sean, you know my uh, my son is seven years old. You know his name is uh, Levon. Oh wow! So uh, he means. Well, Levon was so sweet, man. He was he was such good energy, and I don't know his, the musicianship of everybody that played with him was so high. The caliber was so high; it kind of blew our minds. I remember that we felt like we were witnessing something monumental. I think uh, his character as well. I mean, I'm a music fan. I'm a drummer. Uh, so I got a lot of grief for naming my kid after a drummer, you know. But uh, it's really the, the way he carried himself. Uh, have you, did you ever read his, his uh, autobiography by chance? No, I, I would love to. I should check that out because yeah. he was so kind and sweet. And he just seemed like such a deep. Uh, soul when we got to hang out. Yeah, yeah. I wish I had had a chance to speak with him uh, in some capacity. That's a, a regret of mine. But uh, anyway, that's a that's a. Those are both great stories. We we should move on. In the interest of the questionnaire, I'm ready. We should move on. Number I'm six. Ready. Number six. What have been your career highs and lows? <laughs> oh Lord. Um. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what my career high is. I honestly don't think I've had one yet. But I've had a lot of lows, hmm. a lot of lows. Um, I think the worst thing that, oh, God, it's hard to say. There's so many embarrassing moments. One of the worst ones was Charlotte and my band, The Ghost. We got hired to play a movie opening party in at, at a film festival in Cannes. And uh, at the time, we were acoustic. And for some reason, like, we didn't realize that they were just booking us as some kind of circus freak show, like a sideshow to just kind of gawk at us or something. But we thought they really wanted to hear us play. But I wound up playing acoustic guitar, and it was the two of us singing in this nightclub in Cannes, which was super, you know, a kind of super Euro-trashy disco techno vibe. And they were just blasting techno music the whole time. (laughs) Oh, it was it was so bizarre because we just stood there and we just tried to sing and play, but no one could hear us, and everyone just ignored us. And the people that did look us were just kind of gawking at us like we were some kind of zoo animal or something, like a petting zoo or something. <laughs> it was so weird because it was, you know, I mean, I should have known, but it only occurred to me on stage that they obviously were just thinking that it would be interesting to have me for whatever reason because of my dad and with her because she was a model or something and it was just so embarrassing hmm. but yeah we were forced to play for like a good a good hour without being heard just standing there playing while there was a dj playing techno music incredibly loud yeah it was it was pretty humiliating but i've had a lot of low moments i mean gee whiz Oh, man. I played some weird places. Like when I was in a band, Shiba Mata, we toured with the Butthole Surfers, and I love those guys. Yeah. But that was one of the weirdest. We played some of the weirdest places I've ever seen in my life, like truck stops where there were weird people at the dressing <laughs> room, like with guns and stuff in Texas, kind of threatening us. They're like, y'all, the Butthole Surfers, what are y'all, a bunch of, you know, 
bad words. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. I'm like, no, we're not the butthole service. It's not us. They're like, well, I got my gun because y'all better not like mess with the dressing room now. Like my boss told me you're <laughs> miscreants and, you know, people threatening us with firearms and stuff like that. I've been in a lot of low point situations. I'm still waiting for that high moment. I believe it'll it'll happen one day when I get my when I get to produce Bob Dylan someday. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of waiting for. I'm waiting. Can you put a, Can you put a call out to another artist I love very much? Bob Dylan. Seen him like sixty times in the last twenty years. I love Bob Dylan. If you put yeah. a, could you not put a call in and say, "Hey, I want to work with you." He doesn't really work I with it. He doesn't work with I anyone really. No, I wouldn't do that for a million reasons because, yeah. I mean, I just, it wouldn't make sense. Yeah. I wouldn't ask anyone to work with me who didn't already want to work with me. You know, yeah, it's, that's true. It's like, uh, it has to be natural. I'm not going to just be like, hey, you may know like my dad's band. <laughs> you know? you're, you're, Bob Dylan wrote a song uh, sort of about your dad on one of his last albums. Yeah, Roll On John. Yeah. Right. What'd you make of that? I thought it was very sweet. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, yeah, I I thought it was sweet as well as a fan of both your father and uh, Bob Dylan's for sure. Yeah. Okay, we we will move on. We shall move on. Uh, I I think you're right. The high is still to come. Perhaps maybe that's a an still optimal. waiting for the high to kick in. Yeah. <laughs> Delayed reaction. Okay, here's another one. Number seven. What's the meanest thing ever said to you before, during, or after a gig? <laughs> a lot of those. A lot of those. Um, well, you know, my first show, I think one, I think it was my first show for this record I made when I was young, Into the Sun, this solo record I did. And, oh, man, I think that was, like, really my moment of, of leaving childhood and, and entering the real world and realizing it was a cold shower of reality. Basically, I had no idea what people thought of me. Hmm. Generally, mm-hmm. I didn't think about it. You know, I'd just been playing in this band Shibamata. I was a bass player, and I, I didn't, I, I didn't think about what it would be like for me to try to make music on my own, and how people might have a resistance to that, or or resent me for it, or or, or not even want me to do it. Let's say. Huh. I remember my very first show. Like the the front row was just all these kind of. Let's just say they were much older than my main fan base. Right. And they, and they were, you know, they, they looked, well, let's put it this way. I don't think they knew whether I was, well, I was Sean or Julian or, you know, even uh, uh, mm-hmm, Stella mm-hmm. McCartney. They just knew I was a child of a Beatle. Right. And the whole show, they were heckling me like, why aren't you playing yesterday? They're like, <laughs> play yesterday, like between every song. <laughs> wow. But the funny thing is, I, and, you know, I may be, hyperbolizing in my mind but i really think they only called out paul songs as well which i thought was an extra little oh purposeful no i don't think they were purposely even knowing what they were doing but it just added a depth to the humiliation it was a little it was odd and you know that was that was the first time i realized it was going to be a long haul my music career I was like, oh, that makes sense. I see. This isn't going to be like the other stuff I'd been doing. Because, you know, I'd been playing in a band with this, where I wasn't the leader. No one even knew I was in the band. So I got to tour and just experience it from a normal perspective. And it wasn't until I tried my own thing that I realized that it was never going to be like that yeah. for me. I got to see you play with Chibomato opening for Beck in Toronto. 
man i think i remember that show which 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 venue was it it was the it was it was called the concert hall yeah man of course i remember masonic temple or, or something like that and yeah that was beautiful you guys that were, was you the were best great i've ever been on yeah well you were great i loved i loved chibomato already but like it was i didn't know you were i don't i mean this is going back what 20 when was that that must have been 97 98 or something like that it was sometime between 1895 and 2050. <laughs> well, anyway, it was great, and uh, you looked like you were having a lot of fun. I was. Yeah. That was that was that was when I that was before the world broke me. <laughs> that was when I was still filled with with positive energy and and dreams and optimism. Man, no, I was really fun. Opening for Beck was an honor, and that tour was when Odelay broke. Yes. So. So we, we that's the only tour I've ever been on actually where we're playing these normal sized little theaters and then halfway through the tour we get a call from the tour manager, Beck's tour manager, and they're like, We've we've rebooked the whole tour. It's all basically arenas and amphitheaters. I've never seen a tour get changed midway through tour. It was just like we can't do this. We're 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 having to you know, quadruple the audience size. So it was amazing. That was super exciting to see that, to witness a record blowing up like that. Yeah, like I'd seen Beck a few times by then and I was lucky to see we were lucky I think to see it in the in the theater. Like the the concert hall is a very small venue compared to what you you ended up doing. Yeah, and that was in the middle of the tour. So wow. it was interesting. It was it was really interesting. So this must have been 96. I'm I'm guessing. Uh this that sounds about right. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. Well, anyway, it was very cool. Okay, we move on. Uh number 8, question number 8. What should everyone shut up about oh man so many things don't you think i don't know it's hard <laughs> to say i mean yeah i mean i, I just did one of these with, we, with uh jeff tweedy you know jeff tweedy yeah, you must yeah. you must be friendly with jeff on yeah, some I've, yeah i've performed with jeff before yeah. I, love, I love jeff and he, and I, I was roommates with nels klein Yes, uh, is his guitar player. Nels has become a dear friend of mine too. And uh, and anyway, Jeff, when he answered this question recently, what should everyone shut up about? Said everything, and I, I that's happened before. But I, yeah, I was, no, that's kind of. I was just thinking about it. I mean, we live in an age where we all, all of us, are able to air like the slightest uh, thought on a whim that we have through through all these social media platforms and it just feels so unnecessary but i feel like it's not just unnecessary i think it might even be dangerous for yes fabric of our uh, of the cohe the hook the cohesiveness of our of our social fabric is is being threatened because instead of interacting with communities in the physical world we just kind of glibly you know vent our like our our most flippant frustrations and and even joys and whatever it is but it's all it's all relatively one dire, you know one direct like you know unidirectional this is it's all relatively one-sided i mean you can have a conversation on twitter but for the most part you're just kind of saying something and it's going out there so it's not really you're not getting a reaction from a physical person who's in the same city or building a room as you yeah, you know yeah it feels kind of like it's it doesn't feel connected and i you know obviously that's a paradox because the internet is literally the thing that's connected us the most but you know it, it really feels 
as if the more we try to connect over the internet, the less connected we are as a, as a civilization. And, you know, that sounds like an old fuddy-duddy getting mad about technology, but I'm, I'm not a, you know, technophobe. I'm not a Luddite. I, I like technology, but it feels like it's compromising our ability to have real conversations and to treat each other like human beings. Because it's very easy to sort of think of somebody who's tweeting or whatever as as not a completely human person because they're yeah. only represented two dimensionally. Completely, so, completely dehumanizing, and as much as yeah. it's brought us together, it's contributing to the erosion of decorum and civility. Exactly. You know? So what you yeah. have is all these slivers of people interacting, as opposed to the whole person. Yes. And it feels like there are just these shadows that represent people getting entangled. Yeah, in in these not in these webs of confusion, and so I honestly think it's connected to why we're so politically divided, and why uh, why we have Trump in the White House. I think it's all connected to this kind of uh, yeah that frenetic kind of uh, interaction. Yeah, no, it, no, he's the uh, he's the avatar of dishonesty and and treating people poorly, and that's what's going on. But not just that he represents that behavior, but I think he's a result of it in that people started to polarize because of social media. Because it's very easy to, to get into cliques and tribes and be like, well, we're the people that think this. And everyone who tweets otherwise is an enemy. Yeah. It, it becomes really tribal and superficial. And I think it's, uh, it's dangerous. And, I, and I'm hoping that we all kind of eventually unplug from from the worst aspects of the of social media. I'm hoping that's where it's going. And I do know a lot of young people are doing that. Yeah, I think so too. It's not, it's just to get rid of your, or to uh, at least help with your anxiety. It's, it's very, it's very anxiety inducing. Yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of psychology studies that show that especially young girls are, you know, more prone to destructive behavior, like cutting or suicidal ideation yeah. and stuff. And, and that's directly connected to, instagram or whatever it's it's terrifying well this seems like a nice segue into uh, question number nine what traits do you most like and most dislike about yourself hmm. i said that with way too cheery a lilt i apologize i didn't mean to go right from the heavy <laughs> no. dark thing to the that's just the order of the questions oh no it's fine I, you know i was i was born and raised in manhattan and it's a very it, it's a very uh self-critical culture the new york culture <laughs> So I'm really good at uh, self-loathing. I have a lot of skill and and talent in that department. Um, by the way, this, by the way, this is both like and dislike. So you have to go both both ways if you can. Oh, I see. I thought there was a comma like, "What do you like?" comma and "What do you dislike?" But you mean, "What do you like and dislike at the same time?" Yes, a trait that you both love and hate about yourself. Well, it doesn't that's have to like be. That, it doesn't have to be the same trait. By the way. Oh, I thought that's what you were saying. No, no, these that would be very complicated because <laughs> I do often feel that the things you like about people are the flip side of a coin of 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 a dichotomy that you know that you don't like about them. The thing you love about them tends to turn into the thing you like least about them on some level, especially after a, a period of time. Isn't it? Isn't it that the thing you don't like about someone else is really a thing you don't like about yourself? Well, that's also true. I think that's a different statement. But okay. sure, I think I think when uh, I think if you don't dislike an aspect of yourself, you won't be triggered by it in other people. 
I see. I, okay. I do believe that. Okay. But I okay. also think that let's say you're in a long-term friendship or relationship with somebody, the thing you tend to love most about them at first is the sort of a flip side of a coin of the thing that turn, starts, you know, stressing you out the most. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I think that tends to be true as well. But in my case, gosh, I mean, you know, I was going to say, I really don't like my singing voice. <laughs> it's funny. but oh. I mean, that, I know that's not the kind of thing you were talking about, but it's like, it's always bothered me. I always wished I could be a better singer because I do think I have some talent with music. And I think if I could sing well, that if I could sing really, really well, I think, I think I'd, I'd enjoy my music better. Hmm. No, I, I don't like my voice. I hate the sound of my talking voice even like, that's why you know, if I listen to a, like a radio or podcast, it just stresses me out so much. I, I don't like this the kind of nasal whine of my voice. It really bothers me. Okay. But I do like, um, I think I'm a good bass player. You know, when all is said and done, you know, I'm okay on guitar and piano and I'm pr a pretty good songwriter. But I think what I'm really good at is bass playing. So that would probably be the thing I like about myself the most is I can pretty much hold it down on a bass if you throw a bass into my hands i can i can slap it for you all right all right that's a good answer all right we move on to question 10 what's your idea of a perfect sunday a perfect sunday well honestly the thing i enjoy most in life is when i write a song and i record it and i don't hate it when i love it you know <laughs> there's like a, there's like a window sometimes of a few days when i just think wow this is really great and i listen to it over and over and that's probably the greatest high in the world like that's what i do music for is that feeling of wow we've made something good and it sounds great and it's this sort of pleasure of listening to something that you like and that doesn't bother you and you know often i'll record something and just just think it's awful so my favorite, you know, day would be, and they are the days when I record something and it turns out well, and and uh, I like it. That's my favorite thing in the world, to be honest. That's my favorite feeling, and I sort of, all of my motivation is towards getting that feeling of having done music that I don't dislike. Okay, and so that can occur on a was, Sunday. Well, yeah, well, because I, you know, I don't, I don't, I record on weekends for sure. I'm not, you know, I'm not. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss I don't have a I don't have a 9 to 5 so I'm I'm sort of my my goal is to have a good day and definitely recording and recording a song that I like and and I don't and that I continue to like for the for the rest of the day is 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 my favorite moment 
in my life when that happens. All right. All right. Cool. Okay. Question 11. What advice should you have taken but did not? Mm. Man, pretty much all the advice. It's interesting. <laughs> I think about that because now I'm older and I, you know, I have a nephew and niece and I'm always telling them this and that. Oh, you be careful of this. Don't be careful. You know, you know, look out for that. And it's so hard when you're young and adults tell you something. And part of you knows that it's probably sound advice. But um, it's really hard to internalize and actually take the advice. And I wonder what that's about. I mean, I think, you know, I think we're, as human beings, until we until we touch the flame, it's hard to understand what hot is, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I everyone told me not to smoke cigarettes when I was young, and I did it anyway. And I think that... Uh, you know, I, I wonder why I did it. I think I did it for a lot of stupid reasons. Like, um, well, you know, my dad always smoked and he was always a hero to me. So he always had a cigarette in every picture, you know. Yeah. And, and my memories of him were smoking. Same with my mom. They both smoked all day. Yeah. And uh, so I think the stupid choice that I made was um, thinking that because they were cool, that the smoking must have been a part of that coolness. And it took me my whole life pretty much to realize that they would have been even cooler if they hadn't smoked, you know, that yeah. it would have been really cool if they'd been doing all the stuff they did. And on top of it, were smart enough to not smoke. That would have been great. It took me a long time to realize that. So, you know, that's the kind of advice I didn't take. You know, everyone, everyone told me that smoking was bad and I smoked anyway, cause I thought it was, I thought it, I really identified with this idea of like, oh, well, this is what you do if you're a musician or whatever, an artist. And it's such a dumb idea. So, you know, I haven't smoked for a couple of years now, but still it it's uh, something I regret deeply. All right. Well, at least you've come to terms with that. That's great. All right. We move on to question 12. What would make you kick someone out of your band and or bed and have you? Uh, yeah, I have, I have, <laughs> and or, well, you know, um, I've been in this business for some time. I've, I've experienced a lot of things and, uh, yeah, you know, I've, I, I won't, I don't want to mention any names, but I have had someone in a band of mine who, uh, who did a couple of bad things. You know, they were, they were having some drug problems, which, you know, I can, be sympathetic towards and and tolerant of but but i kind of had to lay the law when it got too serious and they uh you know it wound up affecting their work and then they wound up uh stealing from me mm. so from my bedroom actually so this actually doubles up uh, this doubles up as a bedroom story as well <laughs> so i kicked them out of my bedroom because they actually wound up stealing some stuff from my house and that really hurt my feelings and they stole it, you know, to sell it for for whatever, to get high. And that really, it really hurt me. And I had to kick them out of the band. Or it wasn't a band, but it was, well, it wasn't an official band. But I had to kick them off, you know, the team. And, uh, yeah, that hurt a lot. And, uh, you know, you have to have boundaries. And the person, that, you know, was someone that I loved. So it was hurtful. You know, there was another time a tour manager of mine didn't uh, didn't show up to the 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 morning call to 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 leave Amsterdam. We were on tour in Europe, and 
our tour manager didn't show up and I was like, man, where is he? So I had to get the hotel manager to break into his bedroom because he, it was illegal. He was like, no, we can't break into the bedroom. And I was like, look, he has the float, which is all the yeah. finances yeah. for the, for the tour. I was like, he has the float. We have to break into the room. So I get the tour manager, the, the hotel manager to break into the tour manager's room and I, we opened the door and it was just like chaos in there, but he wasn't in there. But there were like three TVs rolling with all sorts of, nasty stuff on it because it was Amsterdam and there was just powder everywhere and like clothes everywhere and I was like man he's he's gone I don't know where he is so I rummaged through all of his belongings I found the float took the float I wound up tour managing the rest of that tour we get on the plane and I get a phone call from him and I'm on the plane and I'm like hey guys it's him I'm not going to mention any names in my band <laughs> my band looks at me this is like nine hours after he was supposed to be you know getting us to the airport and I'm like, should I pick up? They're like, yeah. And I pick up the phone and he just goes, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and hangs up. That was it. Never saw him again. <laughs> yeah, I think, he, uh, I think he got a little bit too excited to be in Amsterdam, let's put it that way. Yeah, it sounds like it. That's, uh, that's a fascinating story. All right. Well, yes, I had to fire him too. And believe it or not, he tried to, to get on the next tour with me. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, man. You know, that's too much. You can't do that. And keep working with me so yeah I, you know, I do have limits yeah well that sounds like uh, maybe something that you think of when you think of Amsterdam the next question on the questionnaire is what do you think of when you think of Canada well you know Joni Mitchell and Neil Young I guess would be the first thing I think about my friend Rufus Wainwright and his mom Kate and his sister Martha and that family I remember touring up there with Rufus when I was young and and getting to experience Montreal, it was so cool. And there's, their their scene was so cool. And they're all so talented. They used to sing Christmas carols and stuff as a family. I just remember being blown away by that experience. But yeah, I think about Neil Young, actually. You know, I yeah. think about um, John Candy, I guess. I don't know. I think about comedy and music, I guess. And, and the cold, I guess, maybe. I don't know. Did you ever meet John Candy? No. But I'm, I was a big fan. Yeah, he was unbelievable. Uh, absolutely. Did you watch SCTV? Yeah, exactly. That show, man, was so funny when I was a kid. <laughs> something. Uh, yeah, there's something really funny. Like Canadian Canada has its own humor culture that's pretty incredible. Music and and humor is the export that I like most. <laughs> well, on behalf of the country, I appreciate your kind words and uh, thank you. Thank you for saying so. Um, all right, number 14. What was the first LP, 45, cassette, CD, or 8-track, or whatever it was, that you ever bought with your own money? The first thing. Do you remember? Yeah, no, I remember this very well. Um, you know, I used to get, like, a, I used to get money for my teeth from the Tooth Fairy. <laughs> Um, I think it were like silver dollars or something, but they weren't silver. They were just like these these coins that I would get one for every tooth when I was young. And I saved those all up and I went and bought a Human League uh, LP. Oh, oh, yeah. It was the one with that song Fascination on it. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, that was my favorite song ever at the time. And I also just remember the video for that uh, that song. I forget what it was called. Like, Oh, yeah, Don't You Want Me. I was working as a waiter in a cocktail bar, that one. Yeah. And I remember seeing the guy had like eyeliner and lipstick on and 
he just looked like the coolest, sexiest dude I'd ever seen. And I just remember like the whole thing just confused me because I was all titillated by the song and feeling all sorts of strange feelings and getting excited about it. And I think it just messed me up in a good way. It was a very, it was an awakening of some sort. It was so, uh, it was so edgy, you know, for me at yeah. the time to see their brand of whatever sexiness was exciting for me. So yeah, that was my favorite album when wow. I was really young and went out and bought that with my tooth fairy money. Nice. That's great. All right. I don't know if this one applies to you, this question, number 15. What was your most memorable day job? Have you ever had a day job, Sean? I mean, not really. I mean, I never actually... Well, I went straight from college to touring with Chivo Mato. So, I mean, I, that's not really a day job, is it? Mm, some, no. Yeah, touring is hard. Touring is a lot of hard work, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it's not a nine-to-five. No, I guess not. No. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've I've been working as a musician my whole life. So, no, I've never really had to work in an office or anything like that. Okay, let's 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 bypass that one then and move on to the next one. How do you spoil yourself, Sean? Honestly, the thing that I've been really worried about is my i have a little bit of an addiction to uh to synthesizers to buying like vintage synthesizers on ebay oh and i I think sometimes i go a little far and i I, yeah i i feel like it's dangerous like at this point you can just open up your laptop or cell phone and you can buy music gear and you know i kind of the only thing i'm really obsessed with buying like i never got into cars or anything i don't really care about most stuff it's it's music equipment that i have a weird kind of fetish for so yeah i you know i got myself this keyboard that's called a waldorf quantum mm-hmm. and i bought that the other day and when it arrived i just felt kind of like a I didn't I like I was I shouldn't have bought it. So I think I'm gonna re- <laughs> I think I'm gonna return it. No, I just felt like what am I doing, man? I don't need this thing. And I just it just I thought I needed it and I thought it was the coolest thing. And it is a great keyboard, but I just you know, I, I have enough sense and I'm just gonna return it because it I feel like I'm just going nuts with that stuff. Like I don't need a seventh synthesizer in the in that one little studio I have. It's like it doesn't make sense. So yeah, I definitely I definitely am a little spoiled when it comes to synths and like guitar pedals. I'm just nuts about it, and uh, I might have a little bit of a problem, like an addiction or something. Well, you mentioned there was <laughs> there were seven in the studio, but do you do you have you mentioned you also mentioned it's addiction. Do you know how many synthesizers you actually own? I mean, I don't. I could count count them out in my head right now, but it's it's too many. Okay. But I will, in my defense, I will say that I started collecting actually on that first tour that I went on with Chiwamato. One of the first synths I bought actually was a Roland SH-1000 in Canada. I, I bought it in Montreal on one oh. of my first tours. And it was cheap as dirt. So it wasn't like, I didn't start buying synths when they were super expensive and, and coveted. I started when no one wanted them. Like mm-hmm. everyone was throwing away analog synths. So that was also when I got a White Arp Odyssey, which is kind of a collector's item because the white one has a special filter that, Moog Mug wound up suing them for, so then they came out as black. So I got my white opera, white art Odyssey in the nineties. They were still pretty affordable then, but but since then I've I've had a sort of thing about buying like a lot of guitar players. You know, like not like the the, the cliche is like Nigel Tufnell has a thousand guitars in Spinal Tap, and that's kind of the joke. I think I'm more like that with guitar pedals, effect pedals, and synths. It's sort of my I see. With, uh, addiction so yeah i'm a little spoiled when it comes to 
to affect pedals and synths for sure. I think I've gone way too far. I'm like Jay. I'm like Jay Leno with cars or something. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate the uh, candor there, and I, I hope you uh, uh, figure out a way to solve your your issues and your. I need uh, to go to SA Synthesizers Anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to stop. <laughs> okay. Here's a. Uh, speaking of stopping, perhaps the next question is a fill in the blank. If I wasn't playing music, I would be. Mm. Yeah, I would definitely be a visual artist or a movie director. Um, okay. In fact, I think I'm way better at drawing than I am at playing music probably, which is weird because I should do that then. But I think it's just too lonely drawing. I like to play music because it's a social activity and you get to interact with your friends and uh, and make music with people. But drawing, you know, you just spend so much time sitting there all by yourself. And as much as I think I have talent for it, I can't. It's too lonely. Hmm. I see. Maybe you can do a collaborative thing of some kind. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. That's not my thing, though. With drawing, like I have done an animation once. I did an animation for a music video of mine. Yeah. Um, for this album, I did called Friendly Fire, and you know that was collaborative. It was fun, but I, I don't know. It, it wasn't. It. I don't know. It's not. It's not. It's not as. Uh, I don't have as much of a passion for it as I do for music. Let's put it that way. But I do think I have a maybe better innate talent for it. Okay. Well, I mean, given your your parents' pedigree in terms of being visual artists, it makes sense to me that you would be good at it. My mom is very good at drawing. So I think... uh, I thought your dad was a good drawer too, if I might say. Oh, he certainly was. But my mom is... Is uh is really good. Let's yes, say your mom is on a whole other level, but I thought your dad was good too. Is all I'm. No, saying. he's great at the cartoon kind of thing. Yeah, he was really good at that. Those were very influential to me as a child, uh, loving your father and uh, you know loving your being influenced by your dad uh, and uh, and being immersed in everything that I could get my hands on and discovering his his drawings, his illustrations. That meant a lot to me too. Yeah, me too. I mean. In fact, I started to draw because of my dad, for sure. Oh, I see. He, you know, he we all of our magazines would be covered with little UFOs and guys running around. Like he would draw on photos of National Geographic and stuff, and he liked to do collages and cartoons. And I started drawing because of that. In fact, he used to do drawing games with me, so we sort of like he'd started drawing and I'd finish it, and vice versa. It was huh. fun. But then I think I got more serious about it when I was older because of my mother. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're moving on to another question. Uh, what do you? F- we're almost done, by the way. Thank you, Sean, for engaging in the exclaim questionnaire. I, I, it's- You're welcome. I just hope I get a number after this that <laughs> tells me whether or not I'm crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'll assign you a number at the conclusion for sure. Uh, here's the next question: What do you fear most? Besides death, I mean, what else is there to fear? <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. Uh. I mean, gosh, in this day and age, there's just such a long list of things we're supposed to be scared of, from meteor impacts to cometary impacts to ice age, pending ice age, you know, anthrop- the Anthropocene, human-caused mass extinction. and That's all death. You know, nu- that, nuclear, that is- nuclear war. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, all that stuff is terrifying. Yeah. Um, I think right now the thing I'm scared most of is america moving towards some kind of irrevocable uh, discord some kind of like cultural civil war or something that really scares me right now yeah. to be honest it feels like our country is being torn apart from within and uh it's 
very sad. Yeah. And I hope that we find a way out of this darkness into a time when we are able to listen to each other again and, and have real conversations and not just yell at each other from across the canyon of the internet. I agree with you. And um, speaking of hope, that segues nicely into our, our next question. Uh, Sean, what makes you want to take it off and get it on? Hmm. I've got a very low threshold, man. <laughs> Just give me, give me, a, give me a box of Manischewitz, and I'm down. <laughs> okay, for future reference, that's that's good to know. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm naked right now. No, no, all right, no, no. please don't, please don't say that. I'm right? wearing, I'm wearing socks. Okay, all right. Well, that's uh, that paints a more. Uh, Not on my feet, though. Oh, my yeah. God. Okay. Yeah, I, I know. You're I getting hot, aren't you? <laughs> I don't know what to think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, don't think. Just, just go with the flow. All right. Here's the next question, because uh, I think that's a sufficient answer. Everything you just said works for that answer for that question. Okay, good. The next question, what has been your strangest celebrity encounter? Perhaps you are the celebrity. <laughs> Perhaps <laughs> someone else is the celebrity. Well, I wouldn't. I don't consider myself a celebrity. I think people get confused about that. I am the child of two celebrities. It's right. a very, it's very different. Okay. Because um, I know what celebrity is, and I ain't got that thing. But um, okay. I do. Some people recognize me, but it's never because of me. It's because of my parents. So that's that's more like a, a secondary kind of celebrity. But um, sure. yeah. I, oh man. I don't know. I've got to think about it because, you know, there's some that I probably can't even talk about if you're talking about crazy. <laughs> um, strangest, I believe, is the phrase I used. What has been your strangest, strangest. celebrity encounter? Oh, man, I've got to really tread carefully here. Oh, man. What, do you have a book deal or something? You're going to reveal all this in a tell-all memoir? Oh, uh, no. No, I can't. No, I can't. There's things I can never say, probably, you know? That's really? how it is. Wow. Well, you know, you want to be respectful, right? So, other than... oh, well, you know, I guess the, I guess one of the strangest things, to be honest, um, is is what I, I actually wrote a song about it. Um, Bubbles burst on the last Delirium album, mm -hmm. and I think it's just one of many stories I have that are interesting from having a, a, a different kind of childhood. But it was it was you know it's a, it's a song about being friends with Bubbles, Michael Jackson's uh, chimpanzee, oh. and spending time uh, out at Michael's house in California with bubbles and and the boa constrictor and uh a bunch of other animals and uh yeah i think that was a super strange time but not in a dark way in this in 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 an odd way in a unique way it was odd because you know bubbles was all dressed up as in in a kind of dandy outfits and and uh, we were all running around playing video games and with this chimpanzee and you know it was a it was a it was a surreal scene it was kind of part charlie in the chocolate factory part you know dr doolittle yeah and part like you know motown's greatest hits or something it was, just, <laughs> it was like a, it was a it was a convergence of a lot of disparate universes that merged for a while and that was a strange scene but it was really fun i mean it was amazing to hang out with all those animals but there was also something very eccentric about it you know well yes obviously was was michael cool with you he was the coolest dude i'd ever met for sure okay i mean people 
you know, they have a lot of opinions about him. And like anything else, my my uh, my opinions are can only be based on my experience. But he was super he was super fun to hang out with. I mean, he was like a big kid, you know, so the time that I got to spend with him was, you know, just, it was like, it was like Disneyland all day long. You know, he'd set up water balloon fights and pie fights in basketball courts, you know, just really fun stuff where he'd like invite all his friends over and there'd be two teams and everyone would dress in garbage bags and throw pies at each other. You know, it was like, it was like super high level, fun okay. and it was, it was orchestrated fun and insanity and you know i mean whatever happened with him and anyone else i have no opinion of because i wasn't there you know but in terms of my experience uh, it was it was a really fun time but it was a strange time and there was something weird about the whole thing i mean you know there's something odd about having you know giraffes in your house at, <laughs> yes. on your property you know and there's something you know there's just something strange about the whole thing but I, you know i'm when i when i talked about it in bubbles burst the song i was i wasn't trying to be critical i was simply trying to document <laughs> the truth you know this happened yeah. is all i was saying yeah. and i wasn't well, i think a lot of people thought i was criticizing him or or not criticizing him or whatever, but it wasn't about that. The song was really just documenting a a strange time, like a a surrealist moment of my life that was memorable. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, speaking of such things, in the same vein, uh, who would be your ideal dinner guest, living or dead, and what would you serve them? Honestly, if I could have a dinner with anybody, it would probably be Einstein. Oh, why, why, why Albert? I mean, I, this seems like a weird thing to say, but why would you want to have dinner with Albert Einstein? You know, I just think uh, all of the deepest questions you've ever had, he'd be the kind of person you'd want to ask those questions to. Hmm. I heard that he had very uh, plain taste in food, that, you know, he pretty much ate the same thing all the time and it was pretty mild uh austrian food you know just like sausages and potatoes or something so i'd probably try to serve whatever he liked but you know i i'm a big science groupie i don't people's people you know people I, I try not to say i'm a science nerd because that would imply that i actually understand science and i'm not you know I yeah wasn't greatest student, but i'm a science groupie i really love scientists and and i love thinking about those subjects you know relativity and special relativity and quantum mechanics and stuff. And I want to ask him about time, basically, you know, I'd want to, I'd want to ask him what he, what he thought time was really. I mean, I know he, he wrote a lot about that, but it'd be interesting to have a conversation with him about that kind of thing. Yeah. I would love that if I, you know, in in an ideal world. That's cool. That's a good answer. Maybe Richard Feynman, but definitely, I think Einstein above all other people, he just seems like such a, Monumental genius, maybe Da Vinci, but Da Vinci, I don't, I don't speak Italian, so that might not have worked so well. Right, right, good call. Okay, well, that's a good answer. All right, we're almost done here. Here's another one. What does your mom wish you were doing instead? <laughs> Probably, uh, you know, making her dinner or something, hanging out <laughs> with her more. She definitely, she definitely prefers when I'm around. Okay. So I feel I always feel guilty if I don't spend enough time with her. Okay. Well, finally, final question of the questionnaire. What song would you like to have played at your funeral, Sean? Yeah, I've thought about that. You know, I mean, I thought about, I think Chopin wrote his own Requiem 
Um, and Mozart did. I mean, in those days, I think it was normal to write a. Well, I think Mozart didn't write a requiem for himself, but it turned out being that. Right. Um, yeah. So I don't know if I would want to. You know, it depends. I, I, my, my mood changes about this answer because it depends. Like, do I really want people to be super depressed at my funeral? Like, do I want to inflict them with crying while listening to, you know, Mozart's Requiem or something, <laughs> or do I want them just like make it easy for them and let them listen to like I don't know, uh, an Andrew Dice Clay comedy album? <laughs> you know, I, I'm not really sure. I kind of. I kind of feel like my instinct would be to play something really beautiful and sad, but then that just feels kind of narcissistic. Like, I hope you're like super sad now. So the other part of me just kind of wants to not make a big deal about it. And, and, uh, and I think, the, I think the truth is I don't really care what happens after I die so much. I'm a lot more focused on what happens while I'm alive. Let's put it that way. All right. Fair answer. That's a fair answer. Sean, thank you for answering the exclaim magazine questionnaire i hope you learned something about yourself i hope you learned something about me no i did i did i'm I, very, that's very not, intimate that's not the most important thing it's that you learned something about yourself and i want to ask you now a question about the claypool lennon delirium and south of reality we don't have a lot of time left but it's a great record uh is there something in particular you want to convey to the people who are about to listen to this album about maybe what kind of headspace they should get into in terms of what you're talking about, uh, the two of you, you and Les? Well, it, you know, I guess, I guess our, our, our album is sort of a, an epic prog psychedelic album for, you know, the modern person. Cause it's, it's got, it's kind of a uh, rooted in King Crimson and, and, uh, utopia and yes but it's the subject matter is very contemporary and we're talking about how strange the world we live in is and how differently strange from from the past and uh yeah so i think it's a it's an it's a good record for today to to sit and reflect upon the strange uh surrealism of the modern world is it is it strange and surreal for you to be working with Les Claypool? Um, it is. I mean, it is. It was at first because I was such a big fan of Primus when I was a kid. So, yeah. you know, that was kind of one of the it was kind of a dream to get to play with him. But now we're such old friends that uh, I've kind of uh, I, I've, I've become comfortable with it. And it's even more fun now because I, I'm relaxed and I feel like I can do. I can do a good job without overthinking and worrying about the fact that I'm playing with a legend. Nice. Well, it's a it's a cool record. As I say, we are at a time. I wish. I think. Well, you know what? I, I thank you. I thank you for all the time. You gave me a lot of time, Sean, and I really, really do appreciate it. It's nice to speak with you again. If there was one song from South of Reality that I could play for people right now that you would put, that you can select for us, what song would you pick? The one that I'm feeling the most right now is this one, Blood and Rockets, that uh, is about Jack Parsons, the uh, the man who started Jet Propulsion Laboratory and that became turned into NASA. It's about him and his his very uh, interesting history. He was uh, not only a rocket scientist, but he was also a member of Aleister Crowley's cult and 
he wound up blowing himself up in an alchemical experiment. So the whole the whole story is really out there. I got it from this book called Sex and Rockets, and it's an interesting story, and I think it's a fun ride. <laughs> All right. This is uh, Blood and Rockets by the Claypool Lennon uh, Delirium. Sean, thank you so much again for your time, and best of luck with everything going forward. Thanks a lot. Take care.
Special thanks to Sean Ono Lennon for appearing on this, the 468th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and available on all iOS and Android platforms and also on things like Spotify, YouTube, and Audioboom as well. If you can't find an episode you're looking for, or if you wish to learn more about me and sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com, V-I-S-H-K-H-A-N-N-A.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Vish Creative or follow me directly at Vish Khanna. You can also listen to a radio show version of Creative Control on Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time around the world at CFRU.ca or on an actual radio at 93.3 FM if you're in or near Guelph. Also visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. Thank you very much to all of you who do this. It means a lot and uh, it would really help uh, sustain the show. So again, patreon.com slash creative control. Thanks again to Pete's Trocadero, The Bookshelf, Planet Bean Coffee, and Granddad's Donuts for their in-kind support for this show. Uh, thanks also to my pal Jim Guthrie for letting me use uh, the instrumental version of his song, The Rest Is Yet To Come, to end this show each week. Visit jimguthrie.org for more info about him. And finally, you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode and other episodes and for subscribing to this podcast and maybe telling your friends to check it out. It's uh, all very, very helpful. I will leave you for now, but I will be back soon, hopefully. And uh, I hope you're well, and I will, yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. On Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.